Second Chronicles, if you have your Bibles with you, open up with me. Second Chronicles chapter 21. We've come to the end of, um, well, the last good king for Judah for a while. Remember, we've been working our way through Chronicles, and Chronicles gives us basically the history of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, after Israel split in two. The southern kingdom at least had in their heart a desire to follow God, although not everybody who came along wanted to follow God. We just finished up talking about Jehoshaphat. You remember, Jehoshaphat was a pretty solid guy, but every once in a while, he'd go help out Ahab. You guys remember? He'd go help Ahab. Ahab's a bad guy. Never good king, bad king, evil, evil, evil person. What we find out about Jehoshaphat is he kept going back to Ahab, and as a result of him going to Ahab and this friendship that he had had with this evil king, his oldest son marries Ahab's daughter. So that unites the family a little more. But it brings into Jehoshaphat's family, um, for lack of a better term, like a seed of darkness. Okay, the, the woman that, that uh, um, we'll, we'll read about him in a minute, that Jehoshaphat's son married, was very dark. She worshipped other gods. She, she wasn't uh, a believer, didn't care about the God of Israel. She's just biding her time. Uh, we're going to find out that as she gets older, she only gets worse. Um, and, and that was kind of the world she came from. That was the world that she was about. Scripture tells us, Jehoshaphat, in chapter 21, verse 1, Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Now, Jehoram is the one who married Athaliah. We'll see her in a minute. So, he had brothers. The sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azarahu, Michael, and Sheftiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things and fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So Jehoram's his oldest boy. He gives Jehoram the kingdom. But Jehoram is the one who had married this, this woman, this, this person from the northern kingdom who was a pretty evil person. From a very evil kingdom. And so <clears throat> we see his first act as king in uh, verse 4. Now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword. And also others of the princes of Israel. First thing he does is king. He kills all of his brothers. And then he kills the other leadership that was still alive after his father. He's trying to establish himself. The Bible tells in uh, Philippians chapter 2 that we should have the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is the mind of humility. Because the example we're given in Philippians chapter 2, right, is that Jesus Christ was God of very God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Who it was in the form, the Greek word is morphe, meaning his exact nature and character is God. Being in the, in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself of his rights as Almighty God to be worshipped wherever he would go. And he came to earth as a man. It's, a, it's the example scripture gives us of humility. And it says, let this mind be in you. So what do we see in the life of Christ? We see Christ making this, um, his whole mission on earth was to speak the words the Father gave him to speak. To do the things the Father told him to do. He submitted himself as the Son to the Father. No question about that. It doesn't make him less of substance. It doesn't make him less in nature. My, my young son, Joseph, is the exact same nature as me. He does not have the exact same responsibility as I do. That would be ridiculous. He is my son. The whole point that the Bible calls Jesus the Son of God is so that we could understand that the, the Son, that, that part of Almighty God that, that is the Son of God, the Word, God the Word, He humbled Himself. 
And he did the things the Father asked him to do, and he spoke the words the Father asked him to speak, and he did it all through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our example. So we come to Jehoram, and we see Jehoram wants to establish what? Himself. He doesn't want God to establish him. He doesn't want God to strengthen him. He doesn't want God. God's really not even going to be mentioned in his entire reign. He's going to get it for himself. All throughout uh, our time on earth, there is this concept that the Bible talks about. Even popular songs talk about it. There are not multiple paths that you can walk. There are two. Two paths you can go by. The Bible said one path leads to life, one path leads to death. You can call your path whatever you want. You can give it any name you want. But those are the two paths that we can choose to walk down. Those are paths we can choose to, to, to obey, give ourselves to. This is my one possibility. I get to pick the road I walk. Right? And so Jehoram picked his. He killed his brothers. He killed the other leaders. He's already king. He's going to have the worst, probably not the worst morally, but one of the shortest reigns of anybody in the southern kingdom. Because his focus is me. His focus is self, exalting self, and not humbling self. Not looking to the God to God for strength, but to himself and his own wisdom. And his own wisdom said, slaughter all your brothers. You know, those are the guys you used to sit with when you were like three, four, five, and play blocks with and push cars down the road. How do you get to the place where you're willing to kill your brothers? It seems like a long ways to go, don't it? I might be mad at my brother. And Jesus did say... If you're angry at your brother, you're guilty of murder in your heart already. So I bet it's not as far as we think. He slaughtered his brothers. First thing he does as king is is become a murderer. And Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. Listen to verse 6. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Okay, Israel, northern kingdom, Judah, southern kingdom. Everybody with me? So when we talk about Israel, most of the time we're talking about the northern kingdom. Ahab, bad king, didn't really have any good kings with the possible exception exception for a little bit of time. A fellow named Jehu that you're going to meet in a little while. But he didn't stay good. He just started that way. So you have uh, northern kingdom, all bad, never worship God, kind of do their own thing. You know, they're they're on the road to destruction. Southern kingdom, want to follow God, struggle with the concept. They kind of go up and down depending on the leadership that they have in their heart. They always have this desire to go back to think that the northern kingdom somehow is having more fun than we are. You ever heard of that? Oh, they're having more fun. Listen, the Bible does not tell a lie. It won't lie to you. What does the Bible tell us in Hebrews? The Bible tells in Hebrews, by faith, Moses would rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to endure the passing pleasures of sin. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin. But what's it? don't just focus on the pleasure word. What's the word before it? Passing pleasure. Passing pleasure of sin. Anybody who's run down that road can tell you what that's like. It's like... Um, Clouds that promise rain and never deliver. It's like eating cotton candy. You know, first few bites are great, but after a while, you know, it's not really going to fill your belly. Kind of feel sick afterwards. Sin promises some thing, but it's not there. I was sharing with some of the guys. We were talking about, you know, the Super Bowl's coming up. You guys probably didn't know about that, right? Super Bowl. Super Bowl's coming up and... And, and we're talking about it, and somehow we get to talking about Brett Favre. You guys ever heard of him? Brett Favre was a quarterback a long time ago. Pretty good quarterback, actually. And uh, he should have retired a couple years before he did. And for some reason, he kept coming back. You guys remember that? He come back and did uh, uh, Minnesota Vikings, and, 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 and he, he made some attempts. That Why did he come back? 
Super Bowl ring didn't satisfy? The accolades of all the people saying you're the greatest quarterback ever, the records that he held, that didn't satisfy? Because after chasing all the dreams he'd been chasing since he was a kid, going through college, arriving at the NFL, having the the height of success in the NFL, being one of the highest paid quarterbacks ever, having all the stuff you could ever dream of, winning the big prize, that's still not satisfying. My heart still got a hole in it. There's a gap. I'm missing something. And so the desire to constantly try to grab something else. Because the passing pleasure of sin will never satisfy. Jehoram, he's going to walk in the ways of the king of Israel just as the house at Ahab had done. So I want you to remember some of the specific things about the house of Ahab. They killed all the prophets they could find. The one prophet that did the most battle with Ahab was a fellow named Elijah. You guys ever heard of Elijah? So we're, Elijah's going to come into our story in just a couple of minutes. Elijah, remember, he's the prophet that the Lord took in the fiery chariot up into heaven. Elijah never died. Elijah never died. He was one of God's faithful servants. Had the victory over the 400 priests of Baal. He had all this incredible stuff going on. He was an amazing guy. So he's the guy over there. Ahab killed everybody he could get hands on. Every prophet he could touch, he killed them. He never got a hold of Elijah. Well, this is the way Jehoram is. These are the things he's doing now in Judah. He had the daughter of Ahab as wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant he had made with David, since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. So, here you have, in a couple of times in this section, you're going to have the line of David down to one person. What did Jehoram do to all his brothers? He killed them all. So there's not another brother around. There's one guy left in the line of David. So God says, I'm not going to, I won't kill him. He, he, he withholds judgment because of the promise he made to David. He said, David, I won't wipe out your line. No matter how bad this guy is, I'm not going to wipe him out. Because God is always able to redeem. It doesn't matter how messed up it is. It doesn't matter how crazy the king is or how far he goes. God is always able to redeem, to pull some good from it. Well, in his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Jehoram went out with his officers and his chariots with him, and he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. So he goes to war with Edom. Edom was a a country that was their servants. In in essence, Judah ruled over them. But Edom is going to rebel against them, and that's going to be the way it is all through his reign. Then it says, Thus Edom's been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And at that time, Libna revolted against his rule. Why? Because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Because he did not walk in God's ways. Because he, he, he was not a man after God's own heart, right? He, was, he didn't want to do it. He don't want to follow God. Everybody gets to pick, right? Everybody gets to pick the road they want to walk. So he picked his road. Now the reason God tells us this road leads to destruction is because... God loves you. And if we love somebody, we'll tell them, the road you're on leads to destruction. Won't we? What about your kids? If you got kids just going the wrong way, hard as they can, doing things you know are going to affect their life in a very negative way, you won't tell your kids what you're doing is wrong? If you won't, the Bible says you don't love your kids. The Bible says if you love your children, you will discipline them promptly. You won't wait. If you love someone, sometimes that means you're going to have an uncomfortable conversation with them and say, what you're doing, this behavior is not okay. That's what love does. If God didn't care about Jehoram, he'd never told him nothing. He just let him on the road, let him go die. 
That's what the whole world is clamoring for. Don't you see it when the world says, Oh, come on, let's get together. Tolerance, 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 tolerance. That is hate. And they're selling it as love. If by my tolerance someone is destroyed, if their, if their lifestyle leads them to a place where they suffer and others suffer, that's not loving to just let them destroy themselves. It's not loving to do the Dr. Kravorkian thing. It's not loving. It's playing God. You guys remember Dr. Kravorkian, right? The guy, suicide doctor? Help people commit suicide? But how they sell it? Oh, it's so loving. It's so loving to kill somebody. It's not loving. It's not loving. It's taking the place of God. Because we know better, right? Because, you know, really, there is no God and we need to save ourselves? What, what, what's our logic in that? We assume when we look at somebody who's going through some time of suffering that, wow, you know, if there was a God, surely He would do something. But you can't even begin to fathom all the implications on that one situation. You can't even begin to fathom. All you see is what you want to see. They're suffering. You can't even begin to see the things that God sees. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. And my thoughts above your thoughts. What God does ask you and I who say we believe, is He says, trust me. What do I tell you in my word? He says, I'll I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, I'll never put you in a fire. I won't walk with you in. Ever. You could never be in a moment of suffering where God wouldn't be right beside you. None of that. But the world is preaching to us, we just got to let people go down the road of destruction. And I, it, it drives me crazy. Facebook makes me crazy. I mean, none of you guys ever go on that, do you? It's okay. Look, I, I got kids that I taught. Um, gosh, I don't know. I feel so old. Like 20 years ago, they got kids in school now. I could be teaching their kids if I was still there. And that I taught Bible class or I had a youth group. And I go on Facebook and I, and I see them talk. And I feel like, what was all that time I poured into you? They're, they're talking about tolerance and just let everybody do what they want. What's the big deal? That's easy. It's not loving. Do you know what I mean? It's easy to ignore the problem. It's easy not to address the issue. It's easy not to tell somebody that is sin. Because they get all crazy. Oh, you're not supposed to judge me. Look, brother, read the Bible a little bit. The Bible says we're already judged. It's not about judging. It's about warning. Hey, If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you go to hell forever. Period. So, those are vital issues. I I would suggest God loved Jehoram so much, He withheld judgment to give him as much opportunity as He could to see the light. You want to know why the wicked prosper? Because God's waiting for them to repent. You want God to bring His judgment on everybody, but God says, I have, no, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked. God's never stoked about having to bring judgment or take a life. That's what the Bible says. God's never stoked about that. He does it when He has to do it. But He's never stoked about it. So He withholds and He waits, hoping... Hoping, maybe this next warning, maybe this next issue, maybe this next time somebody talks to him about me, maybe that'll be the time. How many times did Moses stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go? Do you realize the first time Moses stood before Pharaoh, what Moses told him? Moses said, Pharaoh, God says, Israel is my firstborn, and if you won't let her go, I'm going to take your son. 
first time he stood before him. Pharaoh's response was, who is God? I'm Ra. I'm God on earth. I don't know your God. So there's ten plagues that come, right? Ten times Moses is going to stand before Pharaoh. Over and over. Why ten times? God said, I'm not going to let Pharaoh... I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, he doesn't do it till later. He allows Pharaoh the choice. Everybody gets that. But he says, I'm going to harden his heart so that everybody else in Egypt has an opportunity to see who I am, what I can do. That's why when the children of Israel left, you know there were Egyptians with them, right? You know they, some of them went with them? They followed them. They called them the mixed multitude. I'm not sure that was necessarily bad. They saw something in Almighty God. God's trying to show it to them. God's trying to show Edom. So he has all this war, right? All this rebellion around him. What was it supposed to say? Solomon told us. Solomon told us when he built the temple. If you have all this rebellion and crazy stuff going on, something's wrong, stop and pray, repent, get right with God. But you don't see that in Jehoram. Moreover, verse 11 says, He made the high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. So he built back all the false idol worship. Please listen to what they brought back. They brought back the worship of Molech. They brought back the worship of Baal. They brought back the worship of Asherah. Asherah was the wife of Baal in the Canaanite religious system. She was worshipped uh, through a variety of sexual practices. Baal, he was the god of rain. He brought the rain for the crops. So they would make a variety of offerings to him. Molech, he was the god of prosperity. They would sacrifice their children to him. And that's what Jehoram brought into the land. So when it says he built the high places again and people worship, and, and I'm sure everybody was saying, oh, what's the big deal? Just let everybody do what they want. That's a big deal. Bad things are happening, man. Bad things are going on. So look what happens. So a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet. See that in verse 12? A letter came from him from Elijah the prophet. Now, let me just tell you this little note. Elijah's already in heaven. Wow, that's quite the mail system, isn't it? I like to think personally that Elijah wrote the letter and gave it to Elisha. And said, Elisha, in a little while, I'm going to need you to send this. So you go ahead and send it on such and such date or such and such time or when so and so is king. And so he gets this letter from Elijah. A prophecy from God through Elijah, who's already in heaven. Thus says the Lord God of your father David. Notice it doesn't say, thus says the Lord your God. Doesn't say that, right? Thus says the Lord God of your father, David. The God of of this area. Because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father. So that tells us Jehoshaphat's a good guy. Or the ways of Asa, king of Judah. Asa's a good guy. Not perfect, but they follow God. What road were they on? Destruction or life? On the road of life. Not perfect, but they walked the road of life. And have made, but you have walked in the ways of the king of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab. And also you have killed your brothers, those of your father's household who were better than yourself. You know what that tells me, that phrase, better than yourself? That his brothers probably walked with God. They didn't marry Ahab's daughter. They didn't marry that crazy woman. They didn't get hitched up with Jezebel. And yes, Ahab's daughter's mama was Jezebel. The original. (laughs) Bad girl of the century. So, these guys, that's what I think he's saying. Look, they they were following me and you killed them all. 
You slaughtered them all. So God said, Behold, the Lord will strike your people with serious affliction. Your people, he's talking about his family. Your people, not Israel. Your people, your family. What does the Bible tell us in Galatians chapter 6? You guys know it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, how's it go? So shall he reap. So, what had Jehoram sown? He murdered his brothers. So if you sow murder, what do you reap? Okay, now listen. Please listen. When you sow murder and you reap destruction into your life, that's not judgment. Do you understand that? That's harvest. You get what I'm saying? God sees what you're planting and He says, Stop! But He won't make you stop planting. If you want to plant, He'll let you plant. But if you plant that seed, harvest will come. Right? And one of the rules of harvest is more comes than what you planted. More comes than what you planted. There's going to be sickness on your children, your wives, and all your possession. And you will become very sick with the disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness. Now, that's got to be bad. Okay? That's got to be bad. And then it has this phrase, day by day. It's not going to be quick. Why isn't it going to be quick? Because every day, Jehoram suffers as a possible opportunity for him to change the road he's on. It's mercy. It's love. If God didn't love Jehoram, he'd just take him. Boom! Gone! But he waits as long as he can. He hesitates and he holds, withholds judgment and he allows the harvest that Jehoram planted to come home. And hoping in the midst of this harvest, there are opportunities for him to say, Oh Lord, help me, isn't there? So let's think about when do you call in the name of the Lord? When you guys got saved, was it the peak of your life? Everything was just so good and you just got saved? That, maybe that happens sometimes. I was sitting on a couch, pretty sure I was going to die of AIDS. That's when I reached out. I mean, that's when I really reached out. I prayed prayers before then, but that day on that couch, I knew all I had was God. That's it. Nothing else could save me. So when did I reach out to God? When the things were the best? That I'm, more, I'm most likely to forget God when things are really good. But when things are really bad, what do I do? Oh God. oh God, save me. Lord, help. And we sit around sometimes and we think, God, what are you doing? Why is life so hard? Because God loves you. Don't you want to stay in a place where you're clinging to the Lord? Or you just want it easy? You just want it easy. There's an easy way. Passing pleasures of sin. Every man, sooner or later, every man comes to a point in his life, every woman comes to a point in his life, where you're sitting alone in a room, and you're looking around at the, the fruits of your labor, and you're saying, wow, look at all this garbage. Is this really what I want? Is this really... Is this really what I'm trading everything for? Well, that was the day I dug through all the garbage to find Kathy's sister's phone number so I could call her and say, baby, this is not what I want. I know I ain't done nothing worthy of opportunity, but I know this. This is not, this is not what I want. It's not good. That's when we reach out to God. That's when we are willing to make a change. 
That's why God allows suffering in His world. Everybody whining. Why oh, there's so much suffering? Stop your whining. Call out on the name of the Lord. Receive the strength you need. Receive the healing you need. Receive the endurance you need. When you spend eternity with God, you're not going to look at the face of Jesus standing in heaven, look around and go, Man, I just don't really understand what all that suffering was about back there. Gosh, what are you talking about? Let me tell you something. When you stand before Jesus and you see the scars on His face and the, the busted up body, the lamb as though it had been slain, and you look at the love in His eyes, you're not going to say, you know, I had it really rough back there. You're not going to say it. You'll be on your face. Paul said it like this, I do not consider it worthy to be compared. This present suffering with the glory which shall be revealed when I see Jesus. Not worthy to be compared. We got a lot of weak brothers and sisters because we want it easy. Church of Laodicea had it easy, but they were compared to vomit. That's not such a good thing, right? When God describes me, I'd rather not Him describe me as, oh yeah, you're that vomit. Right? Nobody's looking for that in in the descriptive terms of who I am. That's the church. <laughs> that's the church that wanted it easy. That's the church that wanted it easy. So, this is God. He's telling them, "Look, this is loving." God saying, "Here's what's coming." Whole book of Revelation. What's God saying? Here's what's coming. You don't have to be there. You don't have to be there. Two roads. You get to pick. You get to pick. Moreover, it says, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians, get back here, who were near the Ethiopians, and they came up into Judah and invaded it, and carried away the possessions that were found in the king's house, and also his sons and his wives, so that there was not a son left to him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. Jehoahaz. Another way of saying Jehoahaz is a Hazai. Uh, it's just alternate spellings. It's the same guy. His youngest son's the only one who spared. What did he sow? He murdered all his brothers. What did he reap? He lost all his kids. Save one. He lost Jerusalem. He lost all the gold and silver. He had stolen from his brothers and all the gold and silver his dad had left him. He lost the place of the temple. He lost all of that. How do you get all the king's stuff? Right? You got to get into the king's house. Would you agree with me? Where's the king's house? It's in Jerusalem. Where's the temple? It's in Jerusalem. Do you know the temple is here and the king's palace is here? So if the armies got to the king's palace, don't think they didn't get to the temple. Of course they did. He had sown battle and war and hatred and he reaped in kind and he lost all that and after all of this the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease that slowly wasted him away so while you're saying to that person who you love who God hasn't taken yet there's a reason God hasn't taken him yet Don't despise the ways of God. He knows what He's doing. And it happened in the course of time, after the end of two years, that His intestines came out because of the sickness. And I... You ever wonder how bad things got to get before you call out to the Lord? Some guys never will. But God gave him two full years. It's not punishment. Look, you guys know what God's punishment is, right? God's not in heaven torturing us on earth. What's God's punishment? God's punishment is hell. He gives you what you're asking for. What is hell? The absence of God. The problem is, 
knuckleheads running around the world think the absence of God will be a good thing. We'll get, we can all do what we want. Oh, wait a minute. Everything you walk on, enjoy, look at, that was all made by God. So that's all going to go away. The absence of God means the absence of everything that He ever did, created, made, utter and complete, total absence. What does the Bible call it? Outer darkness. Outer darkness. There's nothing there, folks. In hell there is nothing there but torment because you're sitting there forever thinking of all the opportunities you had that you didn't take. Forever. That's God's punishment. That's God's punishment. Punishment isn't coming here. God's not zapping you because He's mad at you. Is there chastening of the Lord? Sure, there's chastening of the Lord. Who does He chasten? His sons and daughters. He doesn't chase anybody else. He don't chase anybody else. He chastens those who are his to correct what we're doing. But it's not punishment. Chastening, that's correcting. It's not punishment. It's not hate. It's love. When he died, he died in severe pain. And the people made no burning for him like the burning of his father's. He had 30, he was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years and to no one's sorrow he departed. Nobody ever cared about him. Nobody ever liked him. Made no difference in anybody's life. Just empty. Just empty. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tomb of the kings. So they found some hole to put him in. And that's the end of Jehoram. But then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, the youngest son of the king, uh, king in his place. For the raiders who came from the Arabians into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. And Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. <whistles> Big time successful reign, right? His mother's name was Athalia, the granddaughter of Omri. That's a nice way of saying the daughter of Ahab. Omri was the son, or sorry, Omri was the father of Ahab. Athalia was the wife of Jehoram. Remember I told you she's coming back in the story? So this is her son. Okay, this is her son. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. For his mother advised him to do wickedly. So she's still there, sowing her seeds of evil, right? Do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Worship this God, worship that God. Take this, do that, whatever. It really doesn't make any difference. But while you're walking around making all them choices, just imagine you're taking a handful of seed and you're going like this. Oh, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to take some of this. Little hate, little discontent, little wrath. I'm going to sow all this stuff. Well, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, it is. Harvest will come. So, Hazai, he sows. Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. Remember his dad killed all the other counselors, right? The other princes. And he'd been busy wiping out the prophets, so there are not too many prophets speaking. There's a few, not too many. So it says in verse 5, He also followed their advice and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab. Oh, man, Ahab liked Jehoram so much, he named one of his kids Jehoram. Great. That doesn't make it confusing at all, right? When you got two kings with the same name on opposite sides, that's not confusing for you? That's kind of confusing for me. The Bible calls him not only Jehoram, it calls him Joram. Joram, probably to delineate between the two. But this guy is the king where Ahab was king. Ahab's gone. But his ways aren't gone. And his son, Joram, is down there. 
So he goes, Ahaziah goes down to be with him. It says, and he returned to Jezreel to recover from his wounds. What? The son of Ahab, king of Israel, went to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. So the Syrians hurt him. Okay, what's going on? What's going on? What's happening? Oh, I got time. Stay there. Don't stay there. Forget about there. Go left. First Kings 19. First Kings 19. We'll bring, hopefully, the whole picture very clearly into view. First Kings chapter 19. Oh, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. Ahab just whooped all the priests of Baal. Okay, And when he whooped all the priests of Baal, he goes running back to Samaria because he thinks all the people now, they know God's God. You guys remember the story? That, um, he called down fire from heaven. Whichever priest can call down fire from heaven, they're the, they worship the true God. Everybody remember? Priests of Baal couldn't do it. He covered it with water and dug holes around it and made a lake out of it. And then he prayed to God and fire came from heaven and took it all. And so he looked around and, and the people said, kill all them false priests. So they wiped out all the false priests. And he's thinking, man, okay, revival, the people are going to change. And he gets to Samaria and he runs into Jezebel, Athaliah's mom. And she says, by this time tomorrow I'm going to kill you. And it was like the last word that Elijah could handle. And he turned and ran. And he ran as hard as he could run, for as long as he could run, and he passed out in the middle of the desert somewhere. And an angel came and fed him some kind of bread. This is where everybody says it was angel food cake. We don't really know that. (laughs) He fed him some kind of cakes, and he ran on the power of that cake for like 40 days, and he finds himself in a cave. He finds himself in a cave. It says in verse 9 of chapter 19, And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah, he's God's man, right? He's God's man. And he just run away from the battle, and he run away from his job, and he he don't want to be a prophet no more. They don't want to be a prophet no more. I'm tired of telling people they never listen. I proved to them. I showed them God. I showed them fire from heaven. They couldn't, how could they not know? And they still won't believe. I quit. Ever felt that way? So he quit. He's crawled up in a cave and God says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? So he answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. That's past tense, right? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your commandment. They they won't listen. And tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and they seek to take my life. Nothing works. Nobody ever listens. Nobody ever changes. I quit. That's what Elijah's saying in the cave. So then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. A great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle silence. Most of the Bibles call it a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. What does that mean? Okay, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, so I'll, I'll try to explain it to you best I can. If you ever watch, like Sunday, if you watch the Super Bowl, there's going to be a team that loses. And usually, some point or another, they'll, they'll have reporters in the locker room. And they'll go into the locker room to see these guys, and there will be guys with towels wrapped around their head. What's that mean? They're crying. 
And they don't want nobody to see. So if Elijah wraps his head in his mantle, what's he doing? He understands what God just showed him. And, and I'm not sure everybody gets it. This is what I see. What do you call a mighty wind that tears apart rock? Most people call it an act of God. Or an earthquake that brings down a city. Well, most people call it an act of God. Or a huge fire that just destroys all this land. Most people call it an act of God. But in those three things, God wasn't in them. God does not glory in the destruction of the wicked. He's not looking for a, a reason to wipe people out. He wants to save them. That's why he sent who? His son. Right? And God said to him, look, it's not the miracle that you showed him. People will never believe because they saw a miracle. If it, if it worked, if people believed because they saw a miracle, then when the children of Israel walked across the Red Sea, they would have never doubted. You know how long they made it before they complained? About three days. Now, you and I think we would do better, right? We'd think if we stood before the Red Sea and it parted and we walked across, well, by golly, we wouldn't be complaining in three days. Are you kidding me? Seriously? Know thyself. <laughs> yeah. The children of Israel weren't somehow worse. We're just like them. God said they're not going to see it in a miracle. And they won't see me in the wind. And they won't see me in the earthquake. And they won't see me in the fire. They may call to me during those things, but they won't see me in those things. Where will they see me? In a gentle silence. When the battle in your soul is over and everything gets quiet around you and you realize this thing I'm in is like it's, I'm king of a giant pile of poo. <laughs> and that's not what I want. Every one of you guys been by a feedlot before, haven't you? And you've seen the king of the hill. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, I wish I was king of the hill. I want to be in charge of that whole thing. No, it's a giant hill of poo. Who wants to be king of the hill? That's not what we're after. In the gentle silence, in that still small voice, if you if you if the life will quiet and you just sit there and say, Lord, how many stories have you heard like this? I just I just reached the end of, of all this chaos in my life and, and I finally just came to a point where I just cried out, Lord, if you're real. Show me. Meet me. You haven't heard any of them stories? Go to I Am Second. You can, you can click on 10,000 of them. Story after story after story after story. People getting saved by what? The gentle silence. The still small voice. Elijah realized, I, I can't save them by the miracles I do. It's a work of God. And so he wraps his head in his mantle... And he runs, and God says, the voice came to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? And he said, I have been zealous. Oh, things haven't changed, right? I have, no, I'm not reading the same verses. There's other verses. Keep going. Verse 14, I have been zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your promises and tore down your altars and killed your prophets and, and with the sword. And I alone am left and they're going to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Listen, this is God's word to Elijah. And when you arrive, don't forget these names. Anoint Haziel as king over Syria. And anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mechola, you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. And it shall be, whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, 
Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And I have reserved 7,000 in Israel who have not quit or bowed a knee to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. God says, I still got my faithful. So he told Elijah, I want you to go do these three things. So Elijah went, immediately finds Elisha. Everybody remember the stories of Elijah and Elisha? And then Elisha walks with Elijah for a while, and Elijah gets taken up by, by a fiery chariot and a tornado up into heaven, whatever, he's gone. But God said to anoint Haziel, Jehu, and Elisha. But he only anointed Elisha. He passed the mantle to Elisha. And Elisha fulfilled Elijah's responsibility. Haziel came to Elijah. And he said, my master wants to know if he's going to get better. And Elijah said, in fact, I think, I think Elisha even started weeping. And he said, yes, and then he'll die. And the guy was confused. What do you mean? Well, your master's going to get better, but you're going to kill him. So you can become king. Haziel. He becomes the king of Syria and becomes an instrument of the judgment of God. Kind of like the fire, earthquake, or wind. You with me? And then Elisha goes to a fellow named Jehu in Israel. And he says to Jehu, when Joram's king, and he says to Jehu, God has sent me to anoint you king of Israel. So he anoints him king of Israel. And Jehu starts a rebellion. So when we come back to Second Chronicles, who was it that wounded Joram? You remember? It says he was fighting in verse 5. They went to war against Hazael, king of Syria, Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. So they wounded Joram. He didn't kill him. What did the Bible say? He who doesn't fall by the sword of Hazael falls by whose? Jehu, right? Jehu's next. So then he returned to Jezreel to recover from his wounds, which he had received at Ramah, and when he, when he had fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Azariah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab in Jezreel, because he was sick. He was still wounded. And he was going to Joram when God's occasion for Ahaziah's downfall. For when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. So Hazael starts the fight. Because Hazael starts the fight, it gives Jehu the opportunity to seize the throne. Jehu's trying to do God's bidding in the beginning. Remember I told you he starts kind of okay. He goes way south. He ends up not being a good guy at all, but he kind of starts off well. But he becomes an instrument for God, like the wind, fire, earthquake. But neither Hazael or Jehu can change anybody's heart. The only thing that changes somebody's heart is that gentle silence. The still small voice of God working in the soul. And you turn it off, there will be a time you turn it off and you can't get it back again. It's just gone. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. No other. Now is the time. So, Jehu, it says, and it happened, Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab. He found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brother who had served Ahaziah, that he killed them. And he searched for Ahaziah and he caught him and he was hiding in Samaria. And he brought him, they brought him to Jehu. And when, and when they had killed him, they buried him. So they killed Ahaziah. That's why he only ruled for one year. Because he's down there hanging out with Ahab. Ahab's kids. All because way back when Jehoshaphat made this deal with Ahab and his daughter met his son and they got married and that infiltrated his family and the little bit of evil came in. Athalia, remember I told you about her? She's a, she's a real prince. She's a real prince. Look, the story goes on. So they kill him and they bury him. Why did they bury him? They didn't bury the other guys. Why did they bury him? They buried him because they said he is the son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. So they buried him. They didn't bury the rest of them. They just throw them out there for the dogs to eat. But they buried Ahaziah. 
So the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power. Well, that's not entirely true. He had children. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and killed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. That's grandma. Killing all her grandkids so she can have power. So before you tell me she's probably just misunderstood, she's just a misunderstood person, she's not really evil, don't be dumb. She was a bad seed from the get-go. From the word go. I got a... My son in California's wife's brother. I don't know what that is to me. That's a brother-in-law? Son-in-law. I don't know. He's something. There you go. He is... Struggling with this concept that a lot of people, other, other, a lot of other people struggle with. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Why? Did you not just listen to the story? What happened to the, with the unbeliever? What, what was wrought? Destruction. They're on two different roads. Uh, let's try this. If you truly are on the road that leads to life, and the person you want to spend the rest of your life with is truly on the road that leads to destruction, what's going to happen? Well, there's certainly going to be a problem, isn't there? Oh, no, it'll be, we'll be the one group. I can't tell you how many times people tell me this garbage. Oh, it's going to be okay. Our love will conquer. How'd that work out for them? Grandma killed her grandkids just so she could have power. Oh, well, that's the old days. Yeah, yeah, because the heart of man was different then, right? We don't have that problem anymore. Our heart, our heart's not deceitfully wicked. Oh, no, no. It's, it was, they were different back then. No, they're not different. Same knuckleheads are in this room. Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. You pick the road you're going to walk, and you pick someone who's going to walk it with you. You get it? If you pick someone who will not walk that road with you, you are sowing destruction in your family. And it will bring harvest. Don't do it. Or choose to walk the road of destruction. But I, I think that works out pretty bad too. So you find someone who's walking the road of life. I can't find anybody. Well, then don't marry anybody. But I want to be married. Have the mind of Christ. Who being in the very form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself no reputation. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. More often than not, when we make the choice to just serve God with our whole heart, you know what happens? One day you look beside you, and there's this pretty little thing. You go, where'd she come from? Oh, look at her. She's walking on the road to life. Or look at him. He's right here. He's just equally yoked. Oh, this is so nice. That's God's way. Not this way. This way, your grandma kills all your grandkids. Right? That's what it says. She killed everyone. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jashabim, or Jashabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was sister of Ahaziah, so this is her mom, she's hiding the baby from, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not kill him. The only member of the seed of David left through whom Messiah could come was an infant. And God was able to preserve him. You know where they hid him? Someplace Athaliah is never going to look. 
He was hidden with them in the house of God for six years. Well, she's not ever going to go in the house of God. Remember I told you she's evil. She's an evil person. And before before I know, some of you guys are like, I don't know why he says she's evil. You know, she just come from a bad family. She killed her grandkids. What do you call that? That's evil. Well, she's not really evil. She's misunderstood. No, I understand her perfect. She's evil. She was brought up by an evil man in an evil land, in an evil place. And if anybody ever really loved Athalia, then they would have told her about the Lord, not married her. You get it? If they really loved her and cared about her, they'd have told her about the road she was on. I don't think they ever really cared. Maybe they just wanted what was easy. I don't know. Does she have value? Did she have value to God? Absolutely. Once upon a time, she was a little girl. Full of hopes and dreams. And the people who were supposed to love her, let her down. The answer is not, well, go out, run and marry one. That's not the answer. God said that He so loved the world... He gave His only begotten Son to save Athalias. How do I know Jesus cared about Athalias? Have you ever read the Gospels? What they say? That Jesus is always hanging out with prostitutes and sinners. Oh, I would never be caught where there's a prostitute. I mean, God was. Why? He loved her. He didn't tell her, just keep up this lifestyle you have, young lady. This is fine. I'll tolerate it. What did he say? Go and sin no more. He said, neither do I condemn you, didn't he? Just go and sin no more. Change the road you're on. And if we love people, we tell people. Somebody tells you, if you love me, you just let me do whatever I want. They're morons. If you, if you don't love them, you let them do whatever they want. I was young once. Thankfully, God cured me by making me old. I don't know how I survived it all. <laughs> Man, I feel like a hundred. <clears throat> but we got two kings together that only lasted nine years. They sowed seeds of destruction. And that's what they that's what they reaped. And they tried to let in things that they thought, oh, it won't destroy me. But it did. And it didn't just destroy them, did it? Now, let's back up a little bit. Who introduced Jehoram to Athalia? Jehoshaphat. Well, he was a good guy, godly man. I should have kept that relationship shut off. What did the Bible say? Don't be unequally yoked together with what? Unbeliever. Well, Ahab was about as much an unbeliever as you could get. Well, yeah, Jackie, but Jehoshaphat didn't marry Ahab. Look, the verse is not talking about marriage. Is it? Don't be unequally yoked. With an unbeliever. Oh, he's such a neat guy. He just, he don't know the Lord, but he's a lot of fun and my kids really like him. Well, congratulations. Maybe your son is going to be introduced to his daughter. 
and maybe she'll be a Thalia. Maybe nobody will ever care enough about her to tell the truth. You got friends like that. I got friends. I got friends who aren't saved. Well, congratulations. Do you love them? If you love them, you're telling them about Jesus. If you're not, you don't love them. So they're not really a friend. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this. Then he what? Give his life for who? His friend. But if I tell him, he won't be my friend anymore. Either you believe it or you don't. If you don't, I don't know. That's not good. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. Be careful of that. You got a friend? You tell him about Jesus. And you tell him you're telling him or her because you love him. And if they throw you out on your ear, all you've done is what God asked you to do. God didn't tell you to save nobody, did he? Just tell. Got to tell. That's how you'll save Athalia. That's how you'll save a Jezebel. That's how you'll save an Ahab. That's how you'll save the bad seed. God's people stand up and do what God's people are asked to do. Things will change.